You all are very intelligent. You're like the Mensa of crowds here. You knew. You said, you said, I got an idea. I mean, see, that's what life is, right? You live long enough, you learn some things, right? Like, you know, I'll come 10 minutes early to the workshop and get a really nice seat. What a, what a concept. That's right. This ain't his first rodeo either, this gentleman who's going to be up here in a minute. Is that true, by the way? Somebody just said this is not David's first watermelon because he doesn't never, he, we talked about it, he does not remember ever being here before. Has he? Does anybody have that as a fact that he has been? Or do you just, are you just assuming he's been here? You're just assuming. Some people out there are claiming you have been well, here I before. Well, I wouldn't recognize this anyway because it's a tent. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I've been in a lot of these. Exactly. I'll tell you what, we're going to treat these uh, people, not only do you, were they, I'm telling they're like the Mensa of crowds. They showed up 10 minutes early for a workshop to get a nice seat. So we could even reward them by just starting early. Right? <laughs> Why not? I invited my good friend David McLaughlin here. Thank you. How's it going, boy? Thank a native, you. A native mandolin player who lives down the road, I believe. That's right, yeah. Grew up in D.C., live in Winchester now. And uh, David wanted to invite me up here because, by comparison, I make his mandolin playing look really, really good. No. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> you haven't heard me lately. But uh, since we're in the Shenandoah Valley, how about a little medium tempo version of uh, Shenandoah Valley Breakdown? Or, or the Shenandoah Breakdown? <laughs> the Shenandoah, yeah, Shenandoah yeah, Breakdown. Yeah, you do that. Is that an A? I think it's an A. Or yeah, yeah. yeah. Or is it in G? I don't know. Play it in either kit. That one? That one? Yeah. I think so. Is that Here, it? kick it off.
Well, ladies and gentlemen, what a pleasure. It's just a treat for me. That story you told about sitting close to this guy, that's how I feel sitting next to you. Oh, wow. Uh, and uh, uh, what do you say about this gentleman here? You know what? If they put bluegrass musicians on money, which really they should do, he'd be on like the, he'd be on like the 50. Oh, wow. Right? I never, I never looked yeah, at it Jackson. that way. <laughs> uh, anyway, what a what a uh, what a wonderful what a wonderful person, David Grisman. <laughs> I'll pay him later, you know. <laughs> That's right. How have you been? How's everything? I'm for you? doing good. Here, you know, working a lot, you know, which is I was ready to fade into the sunset, and I, you know, been doing a lot of playing with uh, this sextet that I'm excited about, and. Yeah. Converted the quintet to a sextet a few years ago, and uh, I have That's a nice. traditional bluegrass band, the Bluegrass Experience, and I've also been doing a lot of uh, duo gigs with my old buddy Del McCurry. Mm -hmm. and, uh, we're celebrating our 50th year. We play, first played a gig together 50 years ago this year, wow. and we have a couple of special concerts at the end of the year yeah. uh, where we're going to. Uh, remember that. With David told an incredible story. Uh, might make you tell it again at some point here, but but uh, you know, to to I guess you you approach right. You 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 find this music, and then you have these people. You know, you're right there historically where all the the creators, the founding fathers, are there, right? And all the people. That yeah, we, they, before there were bluegrass festivals, they were there were a couple of. Uh, places like this I imagine mm -hmm. definitely I, like the this. one I went to most was a place called Sunset Park in West Grove Pennsylvania and there was another one New River Ranch in Rising Sun Maryland and every Sunday throughout the s summer they'd have country music and often bluegrass shows where they'd have one main act and and they uh, lo some local bands and uh, they had one gig somewhere around here in Virginia I think it might have been Luray Virginia had a big bluegrass show in 1963 with Bill Monroe, the Leuven Brothers, Jim and Jesse, Red Allen and Fla Frank Wakefield, and I was telling uh, that's a great job, you John. Know, that uh, <laughs> uh, I hitchhiked all night to go to that show, and I had two friends that they they could afford to take the Trailways bus to Washington, mm. and they got a ride from there, to, and basically the show was rained out, and. Uh, after standing around with these guys and all standing around with their Cadillacs, they called off the show because I guess it was just an open stage with no roof and it was raining pretty hard. And uh, so that was a bummer. And I got a ride with some folks and my two friends that took the bus got a ride with some other folks. And we were going to hook up at a, a picking party in Washington, D.C. Well. The people uh, that I got a ride with, they were hungry. They wanted to stop and get something to eat. So they pulled into this restaurant that was nearby where this gig was. And no sooner had they pulled in there, in pulls Bill Monroe, in pulls Jim and Jesse, <laughs> in pulls the... And apparently somebody knew the owner of this place. There was a, a downstairs big kind of banquet room and they took over this space and just jammed for the next three hours. And uh, I got to hear Bill Monroe, Red Allen, and Ira Lubin singing trios. And I was this far away from them. Frank Wakefield and Jesse McReynolds and Bill Monroe playing mandolin. So I and my friends didn't end up there, you know. So I always thought that was my cosmic payoff for hitchhiking all night long. That's right. Wow. But uh, that was very inspirational. You know, back then, these places were just small venues, wooden benches, and uh, yeah. only a, a couple of hundred people would be there to hear Bill Monroe or the Stanley Brothers. Wow. I'm sure you have some experiences yeah, like that. You're a little younger. Yeah, well, growing up, you know, with Bill, Bill Monroe in my life, my parents were good friends with that whole scene, and uh, I had a real cosmic experience the first time I met you. And uh, that was... Uh, Wasn't that in That's Texas? the experience for most people. When they no, it was in 1965, and I oh, met really? you in New York City. My parents uh, oh, wow. took me somewhere where you were jamming. Wow. And uh, I thought, wow, this is like a mind-blowing mandolin experience. And I, uh, so. 
Was that and in then, a club or at Washington no, Square it was somewhere, Park? It was some, someplace around uh, Greenwich Village somewhere. Oh, wow. You all know David McLaughlin, by the way, those of you showing up late. What a pleasure Thank to have you. him here. I'm so happy to hear that you were stopping by. And uh, he's going to have to split about halfway through this, and then yeah. we're going to bring some other he's special guests He's the justice of the peace. He's going to go marry some I folks. have to go do a wedding in White Post here at 5 o'clock. But wow. uh, I want to thank David. Uh, he, uh, we talked on the phone a few days ago, and he invited me so generously to come up here and uh, oh. join his workshop. So thank you, David. Sure. Yeah, Why don't you play something and I, I can back you up? Or... How about a little uh, something like Fisher's Hornpipe? What key do you do that in? D. D. Or, or D, yeah, D or D sharp usually. Uh, D sharp. <laughs> uh, yeah, I. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can play it in F, but I'll I'll try it in D. Yeah. Okay. What <laughs> key do you usually play it in? Uh, I don't usually play it, but okay, I, well, good. it's in my book in F. <laughs> this is a good, this is a good test. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, so, I'll try. I don't want to put you on the spot. No, but, I'm, uh, I'm okay. Okay. I not mean, gonna... I'm not okay, but I'm okay. No. <laughs>
Any questions? Yeah, yeah it, it, the mandolin is such. What a cool instrument the mandolin is. What an awesome instrument. I always liked it. I, I was gonna ask, <laughs> since we have two, you know, such great, you know, pickers here. Like, what, what is it? That, what do you like most about that instrument? You know, what drew you that to I it? That I could somehow get a, a hold on it, you know, a little bit. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, I started out on piano. Uh, my dad had been a professional trombone player earlier in his life, and I was born later in his life, and he got me started on piano when I was seven. And um, I always loved music, but I had, uh, I guess I didn't like a lot of the material that I, I was supposed to be playing in the, out of the mm -hmm. John Thompson piano book. Mm -hmm. And uh, I drifted a, away from uh, the piano and, uh, on and off, my dad passed away, and I I, I liked popular music that uh, was starting to happen mm -hmm. in the mid to late fifties. You know, the kind of the birth of rock and roll, mm -hmm. Chuck Berry and Elvis and Jerry Lee Lewis, Frankie Lyman and uh, uh, Little Richard, and uh, and then uh, that kind of evaporated. Uh, to some extent, uh, around 1959, 1960, Buddy Holly got killed in a plane crash. Elvis went into the army. Chuck Berry uh, went to prison. And uh, Jerry Lee Lewis married his 13-year-old cousin <laughs> and was banned from <laughs> show business for a, a while. Year, man. And uh, Little Richard, Richard found the Lord, and we were left with Leslie Gore. You know, and uh, so I, fortunately, I, I discovered folk music just in the nick of time, and bluegrass music, and then I, I met an incredible uh, musician and human being, Ralph Rinsler, who oh, yeah. turned out lived five blocks away, okay. and uh, he took me from the ground floor up into mm. the, mm. the uh, penthouse. I didn't realize that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I got to meet Doc Watson and... Stanley, you know, all these amazing people yeah. when I was a teenager. And uh, I, you know, we all got excited when we heard bluegrass music. We all got sucked in by the banjo, you know, Earl Scruggs style banjo, I gotta admit. But uh, there were three of us uh, teenagers that got excited about this music. And uh, one of them took the incentive to buy a banjo, so that was out. And, uh, but then I met Ralph and I started drawing mandolins in junior high school. We're talking like 1960. And finally I went into uh, New York City down at what they called the Bowery and bought a mandolin for $19. <laughs> I was able to, uh, even though I w didn't know a thing about it, I, I could uh, do a tremolo. sort of, and, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> continued on, you know, and uh, so, yeah, I, I always thought it, it had this mysterious kind of, it could be this haunting kind of sound, it, it, it was a voice, and I, I always liked melodies, and that's pretty much what the mandolin is about, playing melodies, although mm -hmm. Bill Monroe really turned it into a rhythm instrument, and I kind of expanded on that a little bit or you know I saw that it was possible instead of uh, doing that you could do or, or any kind of uh, you know you could kind of play any kind of rhythmic groove yeah. Stole a lot from you know rhythm guitar players and uh, just other instruments, you know, and then started writing tunes that were no longer bluegrass tunes. I I started by imitating my heroes, you know, Bill Monroe and Jesse McReynolds and Bobby Osborne, Frank Wakefield. I wrote a book for Oak Publications, which never got published because I transcribed all the real stuff and. After a year and a half, I turned in this manuscript, and they said that they couldn't get the rights to most of it. Could I write my own arrangements? And I said, no, I can't write my own arrangement of rawhide. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, 
And so, uh, <laughs> and then uh, a few years later, a guy named Jack Toddle asked to borrow my manuscript, and he essentially wrote the same book with his arrangements, I guess. But anyhow, I got to learn all this stuff uh, by doing that. Mm -hmm. And uh, somehow, miraculously, I morphed into my own style, which Bill Monroe would always encourage uh, if you kind of were good at playing his style or got a little too good at it, <laughs> right. he, he would say, okay, you can do that now, go get your own style, which yeah. is really great advice. Yeah, and, you hear that from a lot of people who play with him. That, yeah. You know. And, uh, you know, but I, I really encourage anybody that wants to learn a style like bluegrass, go back to the original guys and yeah. learn what they did. Yeah. Uh, you know, Bill Monroe played here in 1960. As we talked about that a couple of years ago. I don't know if anyone saw that. We had a conversation with Dell and Jerry McCurry and Bobby Osborne and John Miller Jr., who now owns this piece of property. Uh, but his dad, uh, John Miller, whose house up on the hill, you see the house. Uh, great stories uh, about, about that. Tell us about Bill Monroe. I mean, God, what do you say about Bill Monroe? Uh, what do you mean by that? <laughs> well, Bill Monroe, you know, I'll tell you, um, when Bill died, I was uh, privileged to, uh, the New York Times asked me to write a little piece on him. Oh, wow. And I told, in doing that, I told this story about the first time I ever heard Bill Monroe, which Ralph Rinsler called me up one Sunday morning in 1961, in August, and said, hey, I'm driving down to uh, Rising Sun, Maryland to hear Bill Monroe want to come and uh, <laughs> naturally I said yes <laughs> and uh, there's this little uh, wooden stage and uh, wooden benches and um, in addition to Bill Monroe and his bluegrass boys and, and he had a very atypical band or he, that was a kind of low point in his uh, I guess his economic uh, yeah. rock and roll pretty much wiped out yeah. all, a lot of other kinds of music, including uh, in terms of being able to get good gigs, bluegrass. And so Bill Monroe actually had a fiddle player that never played one solo, if you can believe that. Just <laughs> stood there. But anyhow, and Ralph Rinsler had been trying to convince me that Bill Monroe was the guy. And I, you know, I was new to bluegrass and I was like digging Jimmy Martin and Flat and Scruggs. Mm -hmm. And Bill Monroe's voice was a little intense for me. And he had a lot of double fiddles and not much banjo, and, or at least what I had heard. Anyhow, when I heard that voice come out of a body, it just all made, you know, I, it's like enlightenment or something. I just was transfixed. And the icing on the cake was that the opening band was a local band called Marvin Howell, Frankie Short, and the Franklin County Boys. And they had a young, blonde-haired mandolin player named Frank Wakefield. Yeah. And in 1961, Frank Wakefield was about as close to Bill Monroe stylistically as you could get. And from hearing both of them the, for the first time on that day, and, and I even heard them playing duets together backstage. Um, I got the mistaken impression that all bluegrass mandolin players sounded like this, <laughs> and, uh, which was a good mistaken impression yeah, to have because yeah. it, it set me on my path. And uh, so during Bill Monroe's show, there was somebody in the audience that kept yelling out, play Toy Heart, Toy Heart, which was one of Bill's songs. And Bill Monroe kept ignoring them. And finally, uh, they said, well, if you can't play it, Jack Cook will. Now, Jack Cook was a local at that time uh, from Baltimore, uh, bluegrass. He had played guitar previously with Bill Monroe. For the last, I guess, 30-some-odd years of his career, he played bass with Ralph Stanley. Right, yeah, but yeah. back then, I guess he was in the audience. And they said, if you can't play it, Jack Cook will. And Bill Monroe looked right at this person and said, if I can't play it, nobody can. <laughs> and, that, 
that really impressed me, you know. <laughs> uh, so, you know, Bill was uh, a very, you know, he's kind of an unpredictable guy, uh, often uh, quite stern. I mean, there are a lot of famous little anecdotes, one where a, a gal was trying to take his picture and she said, Mr. Monroe, will you stand back? And he said, no, you stand back. <laughs> you, know. uh, you got any Bill Monroe lore? To uh, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you want to play one kind of for Bill Monroe? Yeah, kind of thing? you want to play, uh, um, we could play Bluegrass Stomp, the, blues, the bluesy side, if you want to do that one. Yeah, Bill Monroe had a blues, he had a lot of aspects to his, his style, you know, part of it was fiddle tune oriented, um, and part of it was very bluesy, and he had a, a few kind of bluesy uh, instrumentals that he recorded, and the, one of the early ones was called Bluegrass Stomp. <laughs> McLaughlin, ladies and gentlemen. Right, Go you. get them folks married. Get them hit. <laughs> and tell me something. I just want to ask you all this. How cool is it to sit up here and play with David Grisman? Wow. <laughs> this is it's like a it's a dream. Uh, back at David's you. gotta go marry some people. Well, I've got a, a young man here I, I first uh, met when he was a very young man, probably about 13 years old, or maybe, yeah, I think he was 13 years old. And now he's a little bit older, Mr. Mark O'Connor. You know. Well, hello, Mark. All right. Welcome. Great. Great to be here. We, um, I should say we're very sorry that we missed the, the well, earlier slot are, um, behind on the drive, but well, we're here. Thanks. Well, now we're here. <laughs> now we're here. And where were you driving in from? 
we uh, were playing at the Nashville Americana Fest. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it was my my first time to do that, and our the O'Connor band's first time as well. And yeah, the whole Americana genre is is kind of surprising yeah, to me because it's, uh, yeah, it's like <laughs> it's like what we do, but well, another name for it. I know the guy that named that. Rob Bleedstein, you know him? What's his name? Rob Bleedstein came up with the, the yeah. Name he Americana. came because um, there was the. Any, you ever heard of the Gavin sheet? Yeah, he yeah. worked for the Gavin, which is uh, a, a report. I don't know if they still do that. It kind of kept track of radio play, I think. Right. Mm-hmm. And he worked for them, and uh, he invented that term to cover a lot of different styles of music. Yeah, it's, yeah, and it's a it's a big catch-all, but it's really yeah. it's really cool, and it's uh, very. I mean, there's a lot of strength behind yeah. it. Yeah, well, I always think of, you know, like when you think of like the 40s, you know, my dad's from that era, and then, you know, and they always hear these songs, incredible songs from that era, and you're always like, God, they don't write them like that anymore, you know? But this, it seems like that, that genre, Americana, is where some really great songwriting, some of that is coming in, right? Some people yeah. who are writing some good, some good songs, you know, good singing songs. Yeah, and, I think in Nashville's um, current climate for songs is there's a lot of what you call bro country and things like that um and keeps having these different names favorite. and they call it like alt country for a little while yeah <laughs> that didn't last huh? yeah. yeah well that's a that's a problem with um a lot of me you know trying to pigeonhole something yeah. call something that's why i kind of <clears throat> thought it would be you know when i started my quintet People kept saying, well, what do you call this music? I didn't want it to be, I didn't want to mislead people. My reputation had been as a bluegrass player, and I knew I was playing some something different. Didn't have vocals, which to me is half of bluegrass. It's got to be vocals. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I had it, I didn't want to be called bluegrass, you know, and because Bill Monroe didn't want me to do that anyway. <laughs> and, uh, so uh, I figured if I had, and people kept saying, well, what do you call this? What is what is this? I figured if I had a name for it, Oof. they would stop asking, you know. <laughs> so I decided to give it my own nickname, which Jerry Garcia gave me, Dog, and I said, I'll call it dog music. And so they'd say, what do you call this? I said, dog music. <laughs> What's dog music? (laughs) (laughs) That didn't help. I still had, but basically, you know, uh, these names accrue. You know, names are, as Shakespeare so expressed it so well, uh, a rose of any other color would uh, uh, smell as sweet. You know, so what's in a name? You know, but um, you know, names are. Phonetic utterances that in time accrue meanings, you know, and so like the Beatles before, you know, 1962, a beetle was an insect, you know, Um, so, uh, uh, you know, the people that sell music and market music, uh, which is a phenomenal phenomenon that sort of came to being the last century, you know, with the advent of recorded music and radio and ultimately TV, um, they started having more and more of an influence over music. When they started recording folk or country music, it was all very individualistic. Everyone was totally different from everyone else because they weren't influenced by records or radio. It was all in, in its infancy. Somebody here played a certain style of fiddle up the road five miles that his neighbor would be playing a different style of banjo, you know. So all these early country music artists, mm-hmm. like Uncle Dave Macon, who's a banjo player, the Carter family, they had yeah. uh, two gals. Maybell Carter was inventing country guitar, and AP would find these songs, and guitar and auto harp and beautiful uh, female voices. Then you had groups like Charlie Poole and the North mm-hmm. Carolina Ramblers, mm-hmm. Gid Tanner and his Skillet Lickers, mm-hmm. string bands. Then you had like what they call brother duets, Bill and Charlie, the Monroe Brothers, uh, the Delmore Brothers, the Blue Sky Boys, which were Bill and Earl Bullock, two brothers often playing mandolin and guitar, singing in brotherly harmony. 
and uh, everyone was different. Oh, well, once some of this music got recorded and the people in the record companies noticed, well, this song by the Carter family sold 5,000 copies and this song by Doc Box sold 85 copies. Let's get rid of that and do more, of, you know. They started having more of an influence over the music and, and musicians started paying attention and they would invent names for music, and hillbilly music, you know. Um, blues, early blues record, they called race records, which, you know, was kind of unfriendly, but because uh, it was mostly uh, black folks recording the blues and um, the names changed. When Bill Monroe started his band, he called it the Bluegrass Boys. Well, in 1946, that band uh, included Earl Scruggs, who had innovated a, a banjo style in Lester Flat. Chubby Wise had a different fiddle style. And the way that 1946 through 48 band played, other folks like the Stanley Brothers, they started copying that. They heard it on the radio. In fact, the Stanley Brothers recorded some of Bill Monroe's songs and got them out on record before he did. Uh, and by the end of the 40s, there was, you know, three, four, five of these bands. And by the mid-50s, disc jockeys started calling it bluegrass music. Yeah. Uh -huh. So these names, and but they get too general. Now what's bluegrass did, music? Uh, did know? Bill appreciate that, or did it, the fact that a genre got called that essentially. Well, I'm sure he appreciated it because he was the father of Bluton. He was the yeah. acknowledged. Although I, I don't think he, during the 50s and early 60s, Flat and Scruggs sort of were more popular, and I don't think he appreciated that. Mm -hmm. He didn't appreciate the Stanley Brothers coming out with Molly and Ten Brooks before he did. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm told, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. I think he was. I think he, there was a real rival rivalry yeah. between. Bill Monroe and Flat and Scruggs, you know, in the early 60s, they had the Beverly Hillbillies theme and, yeah. and uh, Bonnie and Clyde. And Ralph Rinsler actually became Bill Monroe's manager because he wanted uh -huh. to, to give the true credit to right. Bill Monroe. Actually, I think it was a group endeavor. I think, uh, you know, the Bill Monroe, I mean, he had the... He had the band. He had. He knew what to do with an Earl Scruggs. He, you know, uh, one of the guys said, "Hey, you ought to hear this guy," and and he incorporated that into his band. He, you know, I don't think he would have come up with that had it not been for Earl Scruggs. And you know, Chubby Wise had a really bluesy. You play any Chubby stuff? I uh, I got to play with Chubby yeah. several times and. He, you know, he, yeah, uh, some of those early fiddlers like Chubby also were jazz players. Yeah. They were jazz fiddlers, and then they came in to uh, learn bluegrass music from Bill yeah. when they hired, you know, they were hired on. Yeah. And Vassar was the same way. Vassar yeah. Clements, also from Florida, yeah. um, was a jazz He learned fiddler. a lot of big band, mm -hmm. put a lot of big band uh, shout choruses yes. on, on the violin. Yeah. yeah. I mean, big heroes of mine. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, and then Kenny Baker also played yeah. a lot of swing before yeah, he became he did, yeah. the, the 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 you know the greatest bluegrass fiddler, as referred to as by, uh, Bill. by Bill. And um, but yeah, I, uh, David, um, you know, precedes me by about ten years. I got involved in meeting all the same guys about ten years later, about '74, um, and I, they showed me all kinds of stuff and. And I was, I'm really um, very lucky because I was at the tail end of getting to be around the patriarchs and, and right, having right. them take me in uh, under their wing um, and, uh, and learn right from them. So I'm you know, very gratified. Yeah. Well, you brought that fiddle we haven't heard you pick yet. You <laughs> want to play one? Yeah. Hey, yeah. Yeah, play one. And then I got, I'm going to pull a surprise on you. All right. <laughs> what do you want to play? Well, I'll play. All right. Oh, wait. Do you know that Stony Point? Do you know that one? Or, uh, 
Okay, sure. Mark does with this because okay. let's face it, you know, he he's at the top of the heap, right? You know? <laughs> Nobody can beat this guy in a fiddle contest. You know, the first time I went to his house in, in uh, uh, it's outside of Seattle, I, I, yeah, you know, and uh, you would be blinded by the trophies. <laughs> We're in his living room, right? <laughs> But, uh, you know, he was, uh, in, you know, if that takes, uh, I know that you had some tough times there with some of those older fiddle players that didn't really want you winning those first prizes. Yeah, the, right? the, the old time fiddling used to be an old man's game. Yeah. And they try uh, to get him <laughs> drunk. <and everything>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was something else. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he came through it, you know. <laughs> so uh, Chad and I, have, I wrote a tune a while back uh, on a project called The Bluegrass Reunion. And the guy that gave me my first real hardcore bluegrass job was a man named Red Allen, who came from a place called. Pigeon Roost, Kentucky. So I made up this little uh, bluegrass ditty. Uh, and Chad and I play a twin mandolin thing on it. And uh, um, the bridge, the first time, it's 
E to A minor the second time, E to A major. That's the only, but I'm going to let you. This is so cool. I get to learn their tune in front of you all. Yeah. I figure he's out. Is that okay? It's it's nothing you can't handle, which is anything. (laughs) We'll see if we can do this. It's called Pigeon Root. Wonderful. Playing it all his life. You know? <laughs> wow. So, uh, I'm, I'm going to kind of just step out of the way and just let you all jam. I just wanted well. to say, uh, uh, um, you know, Dave, David, thank you for uh, all of that music you've made in your life for, uh, you know, the bluegrass stuff, the stuff with all the old and in the way, and the stuff with Jerry, and the stuff with your sextet, and your. Quintet and everything else. Well, I do have some merchandise here. Yeah, take them home. <laughs> they're, they're holding in the way. Um, you know, that original record was, um, uh, we went to a studio. They're holding in the way, in case you don't know, was a very short-lived band out in California with Jerry Garcia and myself and Peter Rowan and uh, Vassar Clements and John Kahn. And um, we only were together for a year, really. And uh, Really? Is that all it was? That's all it was. It, you know, basically 1973. I think so we played uh, 
one or two gigs in early '74, and then it's kind of uh, really fortunate. Kind of petered out, you know. <laughs> petered out. <laughs> it, it was. It's a. Uh, it didn't evaporate like the the, yeah. the other scene. Uh, anyhow. Um, but I was going to say, with we, that, we're so fortunate there was as many recordings of it. Well, there, there was live recording. This guy named uh, Owsley Stanley III, uh, who, who had designed the Grateful Dead sound system, and uh, he went away for a while uh, for making LSD. And uh, he came back, and his job was gone, and he, he had a very sophisticated Swiss tape machine called a Nagra, a stereo Nagra, and he used to follow that band around setting up micro and recorded a, a lot of gigs and we had attempted to make a studio album which we spent a few days in, and you know Jerry and I decided it wasn't quite up to snuff and several years later the Grateful Dead formed a record company called Round Records and Jerry asked there was a couple of gigs that were really well recorded at a place called the board, Boarding House mm -hmm. on two successive Monday nights and they, that was kind of the best we ever sounded uh, so he asked if I, they wanted some product for their record label that wasn't the Grateful Dead. So he, he asked me if I'd put together an album, and I picked ten tunes, kind of a shabby album, uh, or le you know not that many, only ten tunes. Although some of them I guess were a little long, um, and uh, that was the original old. That came out in 1975, two years after the band quit playing. No, and it became quite a successful yeah, album. Beautiful. Um, and awesome. But the band never played again. It was like yeah. a band that almost yeah. didn't wow. exist. That's wild. But um, <laughs> a couple of years ago, and then you know, in the past 20 years or so, um, I, I formed a record label called Acoustic Disc. And uh, Jerry wanted us to put that original record out, but somebody else owned it. so. I suggested maybe we should listen to those tapes again, and we spent a few days, and there was a lot of really good material that had never been released, so we put two more CDs out with actually a lot more than 10 songs on it. But uh, maybe a year or two ago, I decided to reconstruct all the those two shows the way they went down, because these albums were just made with extracting different cuts from different gigs. Mm. Uh, or different sets, there were four sets. So we finally, I put it all back together the way it originally went down, and there were still about 15 tracks that had never been released, and no, it's all pretty good. Right. Vassar Clements in 1973, I mean, how could you miss? And uh, so we put out yeah. the complete boarding house tapes, the four oh, CD yeah. set. I do have a few of them here. All right, yeah, pick them up. <laughs> David, I was fortunate to be at uh, Telluride years ago when you guys got the group back together. It was not long after Jerry passed away. And oh, yeah, we you did had a thing a called Olden and the Gray. Yeah. <laughs> How was that? Uh, that must have been a good time. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Um, we, uh, Herb Peterson played banjo and uh, Pete Rowan and myself and Vassar. Of course, John Kahn passed away mm -hmm. after Jerry a year, so we were lost two and now we've lost Vassar and uh, you know hey if you I mean that's a kind of hard thing about if you are fortunate enough to grow old enough yeah. you'll lose a lot of friends along the yeah. way and that's uh, kind of hard to handle but I've gotten philosophical about it or I, I don't think they really left I mean I I just feel uh, you know they'll they'll always be around uh, yeah man <laughs> All right, well, once again, I'm going to get out of your way, but that's Mr. Chad Manning over there. Mark O'Connor. Yeah, Mark O'Connor. And, and how about Mr. David Grisman? What about that? And I'm going to get out of this seat and turn it over to somebody who's much more uh, aesthetically pleasing than myself and an amazing artist in her own right. And Maggie O'Connor up here. Yeah. Well, it is great to be here to 
to share the, the stage and the, and the festival with David. And, uh, and some of you remember that I was in his band, right? When I was 17 years old. Oh my gosh. I spent so many petrified moments trying to learn the guitar parts to dog music. <laughs> and uh, it was amazing to, to have some of that um, be captured on film. Um, we did Austin City Limits and there's a, a really cool video on the YouTube um, of, uh, of David's dog, Reg, and I'm playing guitar. Yeah. And that's a, yeah. that's a spectacular cut. And, uh, and so it's, it's great to be here and, and to a full circle, we were, David was talking about all the, the different family bands, the brother bands, yeah. and to be able to bring my family and uh, I don't know, just to put this together, the O'Connor band, with my wife, Maggie, please make her welcome. And my son, my son Forrest, who, who's songwriting and singing and playing the mandolin, and of course Where David is, is a big inspiration. I know he's probably setting up the, the stage over, he's probably setting up our merch oh. over there. And, uh, and then his, his fiance, my daughter-in-law, what, what a singer. So it's just been incredible to kind of come back into the bluegrass country music scene and, uh, and now Americana, I guess. <laughs> and, um, and to bring back my family and to have them help me. And then for years, I quit playing mandolin and guitar. And I was just concentrating on uh, classical composition and jazz and stuff. And, and then now, now I'm playing mandolin again. And, and, and I'm trying. I'm Look trying out, to play no. <laughs> I used to have to pay him extra not to touch that. No, actually, we did. <laughs> what, one of my first... Uh, he, he, anything, he can play any oh. string instrument. He can, man. I my, think you started as a, a classical guitar Yeah, player, right? guitar was my first instrument. Then I did my Markology album, and yeah. David so graciously played, and that's still that's one of my best contributions on guitar and then my, my first really professional gig playing the mandolin was on his ricochet that beautiful song that he wrote three mandolins so yeah just just great so here speaking of bluegrass we've got a bluegrass song um i'll play for you um th and this is uh bill monroe bill monroe and byron berline who you probably ran into byron back in the 60s too yeah well, uh, I think I first met him at one of the early Newport folk festivals. He was playing with his dad. Yeah. Yeah, that was before he joined Bill Monroe. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think, uh, wow, this is, I think, one of the great bluegrass fiddle tunes ever. Gold did, Rush. Did Byron write this? Yeah, so Byron and Bill together oh, co wrote okay. this. Okay. Gold Rush. And, uh, and, for our set later on today, we're going to do another Bill Monroe song. Actually, maybe a couple. Um, but uh, definitely Jerusalem Ridge. We're going to do that in our band set. And that was a co-write between Kenny Baker and Bill Monroe, al although Bill Monroe is credited with the, with the composition. But I, interview, I, mean, I, got, I got to know Kenny really well and figured out that he actually wrote a few of those parts. Well, you just... I'm just gonna slap rhythm for you. Okay. Get a little closer. One, two.
Mr. and Mrs. O'Connor. Chad Manning. Enjoyed it. Thanks so much. I, would, I want to just mention something that um, Gold Rush and other many other duos um, that Maggie and I perform um, are right out of our book series um, for education. And we have a new series of books called The O'Connor Method. And right now, tens of thousands of children are learning how to play the violin using bluegrass and fiddling and folk music and jazz, spirituals, ragtime, blues. It's an incredible thing to see. It's been a long time in coming, and we want to see this thing in the public schools, in the private studios, all the way up to the conservatory. Why not? I mean, this is beautiful. This is great literature. And so, and thanks for supporting, and thanks for coming out and listening to us. Great to be a part of it. Thanks so much. Go to hear these guys, what, at five? Yeah, they're, that's, they're gonna be playing in very shortly. And uh, my sextet will be playing at eight. Thank you. Hey, how about, uh, since we got them, Like I said, um, it is a, it is a, it is an honor and it's a treat anytime you can be around folks like this. You know, we had Peter Rowan here last year, and Sam's of course always here. We had Del McCurry sitting here. We had some of these people sitting here, and too often you hear too many good things about people when they pass on. I think you should give people flowers when they're living. And American original, a master of his craft, David Grisman. Well, thank you. We'll play one more for you. This is an old-time fiddle tune that I dreamt, I heard in a dream. And uh, I fortunately remembered it when I woke up, so I think. And, and Chad, we'll play it for you. It's, uh, it's called the Hornpipe Dream, or if you will, the Hornpipe Dream. <laughs> Mark might like this. Take it off. You, you just play it all with it. Yeah.
Thank you, folks.